Well, last week we began a a kind of a two-part message on Joshua chapter 6 and the story, the well-known story of Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. And we're in a series of messages that we are calling Promised Land. And we're talking about the book of Joshua, walking through it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and taking a look at what it says to us about God's people and the promises that he has. Our central premise through all of this is this idea that the people of God are created to live in the promises of God. That the people of God are created to live in the promises of God. And when we last left our hero Joshua and his friends, they were about to move into one of the most strategic geographical locations that they will face in their journey into the promised land. They had to cross the Jordan River. And a couple of weeks ago, we were with them as God helped them to cross that river. They'll have to go and they'll move through the north. They'll move through the south. They will take possession of this land. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about that process, why it was important, how this played out in their lives But we started last week, and when we left them, they were staring down at Jericho. Now, Jericho was strategic because it was the entryway. It was the doorway into the promised land. And Jericho, although it's it's called a city, the idea was this. It probably covered four or five acres. It wasn't necessarily a sprawling metropolis as we might think. It was actually more of a military installation, a, a military base than it was maybe a village or a town or a city. The people lived all in the outskirts. They were an agricultural people. They were hunting and farming people. So they lived all over the country. In this city of Jericho was where you found the military, where you found business. It was the place of commerce, and it was surrounded by a wall. Now, we always talk about the wall of Jericho. The city, let me describe it for you, was fortified by a double ring of walls. The outer wall was six feet thick, And the inner wall, 12 feet thick. Timbers were laid across these two walls and supported houses on the wall. So you've got the two walls, one 6 feet thick, one 12 feet thick, with with beams laying across those two walls where they could then build homes. Does anybody remember who had a home on one of those walls? Rahab the prostitute. We talked about her back in Joshua chapter 2. Since Jericho was built on a hill... It could be taken only by mounting a steep incline, which put the Israelites at a great disadvantage. Attackers of such a fortress often used a siege of several months to force surrender through starvation. So as they come up on Jericho, they are facing an ominous geographical position. They are facing a massive defense system that the people of Jericho had there. And they knew the Israelites were coming. They knew they'd crossed the Jordan River. They knew they had victories before. And so if you remember, they went into Jericho, as many people as could, and they closed up the doors to the point that no one went in, no one went out. It was there that they were. And last week, we talked about, we began talking about, what do you do if you are in a place where you need victory? In fact, if you were here, you remember, we took a few minutes to kind of identify in our lives, what's the victory we're looking for? Is it financial? Is it emotional? Is it relational? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? What is it that would define for us a place of victory that we need right now in our lives? Then we went one step further and said, what's the wall that seems to be surrounding it and keeping us from that place of victory? And then last week, we took time to begin talking about what do we do if we're in a place like this looking for victory. And we looked at six things that we called words of wisdom for walking around walls. 
words of wisdom for walking around walls. And if you weren't here last week, you can get the notes and even watch or listen to the message online at our website, toledocalvary.org, and you can go there and find all that there. We looked at six words of wisdom for walking around walls. I want to give you four more today. And so we'll continue in our story. We left off at Joshua chapter 6, verse 7. So let's jump into verse 8, pick back up at our story, and see where we go from here. Joshua chapter 6, verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word, until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. This is the instructions that Joshua gives and then the movement that the Israelites take to begin the battle that conquers Jericho. Not much of a battle. It actually was a battle that was fought simply through them being willing to obey what God called them to do. Now God gives Joshua very detailed instructions on how to take the city. He passes those along. Then the Israelites begin that process, which then takes us to to the seventh word of wisdom that we'll consider these two weeks. Seventh word of wisdom for walking around walls, and it's this. There is no victory without obedience. There is no victory without without obedience. It all comes down to this at some point. That messenger that we talked about last week could have come to Joshua and said, Joshua, this is what you need to do. And Joshua could have said to the people, I think this is a good idea for us to do. But the victory would never have come if they had not taken those things and put them into action. If they had not acted on what they knew they needed to do. At some point in our lives, you have to... Take the move. You have to make the first step. You have to pull the trigger. Take the leap. Whatever you want to say, at some point, you've got to take what you know here and put it into action with your hands and with your feet, with your mouth, with your heart. At some point, you can't just sit in the camp, Israel. You've got to go march around Jericho. You can't just talk about your finances. You've got to change the way you use them. You can't just hope that relationship gets repaired. You have to ask for forgiveness. You can't just pray in a new job. You probably need to make some phone calls and send out a resume. Does this make sense? At some point, there's a moment where we have to take some action. And there is no victory without obedience. When the time is right, it is right to act. And this was that moment when God said to Joshua and his people, okay, now. Now what's so interesting is there was still obedience involved. We'll talk about this in a moment. And it was so clear. You guys start marching, but don't say anything yet. Let the brass section play their part. But the rest of you, just hold your tongues for six days. I'll let you know when to shout. But when I do, make sure you shout. When it's time that's right to act, you need to act. Now this, this leads to something, and, and I know for some of you, you've heard this before, but I think it's really important. It's something that we talk about sometimes called the plow principle. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it helps us when we consider how do we respond to the things that we feel God has put in front of us. What do we do? Well, we talk about this as the plow principle. Here's, here's four things. You pray, you listen, you obey, and then you watch and see what God will do. There's this moment of opportunity in front of you. You pray and ask God for direction. 
But sometimes it falls apart because we pray, but we don't listen. Have you ever had those prayers? Dear God, I want you to help me. Now I'm going to go fix it. (laughs) And we never even take time to hear what God might speak to us. Here's why. Because sometimes what God might speak to us may be something that we don't like. (laughs) And so we pray, and then we listen. But the key to all of this, you can pray and listen. I've known before what God would have for me to do. I've heard it in my spirit. I've seen it in his word. I know what he says. The trick is that I've got to obey, isn't it? Because if you take that O out, all you've got is pull, right? And that's nothing. At some point, you have to obey. You have to make that move. Victory does not come without obedience, without being willing to do what God has called you to do. And there's this powerful thing that happens here. Do you watch this? Joshua says to the people, I want you to obey. And then when you get to that place of obedience, I want you to give a shout of praise. I want you to make it known who's there. And when they shouted, although we don't get an actual script for what they shouted, I'm going to guess that the shout wasn't, hey, we're coming in to get you. I think it was a shout of praise. I think it was a shout identifying that the victor in this battle wasn't Israel. It was God. It was Yahweh. It was the Lord. And there is something powerful to consider there. In this balance between obedience and praise, there is power in a shout of praise. When you take what you know in your heart and you somehow verbalize this. Now, I don't know that when you're walking through the produce section and bananas are on sale, that you just shout at the top of your lungs, Hallelujah! And then maybe the apples will be on sale too. I don't mean it that way. Try it. Just make sure I'm around to video it. But this, this this is the thing. There is power when we vocalize and verbalize God's blessing in our lives. Here's what... The psalmist said, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not some of the time, but all of the time. His praise won't be in my mouth mediocrely, but all the time. Some of you may remember that I prayed a prayer for a certain football team last week. Do you remember that? Because I was making a point that God doesn't answer your prayers for victory. And I, and I proved the point. Did that, did that? And so even in those times, what do you do? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Congratulations, to my Browns fan friends, right? Yeah. No, that's not of the Lord. That is not of the Lord. That is not of the Lord. You stifle that shout of praise right now, right? Okay, You're, are you with me? Here's, here's the thing. It is, it is a part of this process. Obedience with praise positions us for blessing from the Lord. Obedience with praise. Because I've obeyed the Lord begrudgingly in my life. Have you? I'll obey you, Lord, but I don't like it obedience with praise when we come alongside with that positions us for blessing from the lord now now let's 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 move on kind of the next point in our text and and i want you to think about this we're talking still about the idea of obedience and next week we will in fact over the course of the next few weeks we'll unpack this idea some more but i want to introduce it today because it's an idea of obedience and it's a it's a it's a integral part of understanding what god is saying in the book of joshua and what he asks them to do 
Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, we're, we're going on to some more instructions. And Joshua is saying, look, when you come up to the wall, I'm going to tell you to shout. And here's the instructions that he gives. He says, verse 17, the city and all that it is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Now let me talk about that word devoted for just a minute. Sometimes we do our devotions so that we can prepare our hearts maybe for the day and hear God's word. Sometimes we dedicate something. We devote ourselves to someone or something. This word in, in the Hebrew has a stronger meaning than just, I, you know, I, I devote myself to this. It has the idea, it's a Hebrew word, cherem, and the idea is this, that you give something completely over to the Lord, literally in the idea that it is destroyed to be given to him in an act of sacrifice. So we devote this to you. It is an idea of total and complete surrender of that. You don't hold on to any of it. You give it to him. Now watch what he says to them. Verse 17 again. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared. Because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things. So that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So basically, this was it. Fellas, when you go into Jerusalem, don't fill your pockets with... Not Jerusalem, Jericho. When you go into Jericho, don't fill your pockets with the loot. Don't, don't fill your backpack with cool things that you see. Because it's not yours, it's God's. You give that completely over to him. To the point that he says things of great value, we're going to put in the treasury because we can use them later. And everything else, you destroy. Listen to the language that he uses. Verse 21 of Joshua chapter 6. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Everything wiped out. A little brutal, isn't it? Verse 24, listen to this. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. They went in and in obedience completely wiped this place out. The next week when we get to Joshua chapter 7, we're going to look at a very interesting story. In fact, you may want to read it, not right now please, but later this week. You might want to read it and let the Holy Spirit begin to challenge you with what happens when we when we walk away from this idea of obedience. But why would God call his people to such an act of incredible destruction? Let me give you just a little bit of background. As the Israelites went into Jericho, they were not some big, powerful army beating up on some little guys. They were going in as truthfully the underdogs outside of who God was in their power They were going in to take over land, if you remember, that was overrun with giants. And this was not just a great military strategy in some ways for the land and for the people in the land. This was an act of liberation from an unbelievably corrupt pagan kingdom. This was an act of God's judgment. If you go back and read the book of Genesis, it actually literally says that God was storing up wrath against the Canaanites. This wasn't just some random act on God's part trying to be mean and cruel. For years and years, for hundreds of years, their sin, their immorality was literally being stored up until a point when God said, all right, that's it, I can't take it anymore. 
When the Israelites went in, it wasn't just ethnic cleansing. It wasn't just a hostile takeover. This was an opportunity for God to put judgment on a people who practiced unbelievable sexual immorality. They practiced cruelty and barbarism like you would not believe. They were a very corrupt people who in every way made a society that was evil. I think some ways when we think about the, the battle of Jericho, we think that the army's marching around and inside the people are walking through the streets singing like it's a Disney movie, Right? It wasn't like that. This was a very wicked, wicked place. And so when the Israelites went around this city, as they moved into the promised land, they were unlikely agents of God's justice that was there. So when they went in, God said, look, everything in this place needs to be wiped out because if it isn't, you're going to be prone to want to take those things and to cherish those things and to treasure those things and to go down a path that's going to pull you away from me. He says, this is a sinful place and I'm starting over with a holy people. And if someone holy is about to do something holy, that it's important that you must be holy, right? So here's the truth. God is saying to them, destroy sin or it will destroy you. Be obedient to take care of this. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll really unpack this more next week and take more of this. But why? Why so radical a step by the Israelites? Because if you don't destroy sin, it will destroy you. Which leads us to that same truth we looked at. There is no victory without obedience. Let's get back to our story. Joshua chapter 6, verse 12 says, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, carrying the seven trumpets, went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. What an interesting story of what God asked them to do. We touched on this last week. All right, fellas, go out, march around the city, and then come back. That's not laying siege to a city. That's taking a walk, right? That's just having a stroll. And then we go back and just sit around camp. We just hang out and play games and watch TV. What are are we going to do? Because you feel like I should be doing something. I should be active. And God says, look, trust me. You do this for six days. You go through this process. And then trust me that on the seventh day, on the seventh time around, when you obediently give that shout of praise, I will do this. But you need to work in my timing and in my process. What if Joshua had said, let's see, six, once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day, that's what, 13 times? Fellas, let's just speed this up, and on Sunday, we'll just go ahead and go around it 13 times. Do you think it would have worked? Even though they did all the same stuff, do you think God would have honored that? No, because God was doing something different. And we oftentimes try to to force victory. Let me give you an eighth word of wisdom for walking around walls, and it's this. Victory is a process of trusting God's perfect timing. Victory is a process... Of trusting God's perfect timing. How many of us just love to wait on things? Amen? 
hate it. I hate to wait. If I have to choose between a crock pot and a microwave, I'll pick a microwave all day long, right? Because we hate to wait. But God says, trust me, because in this process, I'm doing something in you. You go around it once on day one and then wait. And then be obedient, go around it once on day two, and then wait. And then you be obedient and go around it once on day three, once on day four, once on day five, once on day six. Many of you are just like, can you stop doing that? Because we don't like to wait. We don't necessarily like repetition. And yet in that, so many times, God is working something out. And we have to wait for his perfect timing. Fourteen times in that passage, in in chapter 6, something is described as being seven of something. They went around seven times. There were seven priests blowing their seven trumpets. There were seven days. What is significant about that? Well, seven is God's perfect number, isn't it? And there's something about God says, look, in my perfect timing, when things are right, then I'll do it. You be obedient in the meantime. Because he's working something out in us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. As you obey, God is working something out in you to fulfill his purposes, bring you victory in his perfect timing. Now here's, here's the part we don't like sometimes, but I hope you'll grasp this, that if you're going to live a life of faith, Faith is a process of obedient working and waiting. Faith is a process of obedient working and waiting. They go together. God, I'll be obedient and do what you've called me to do. And then I'll trust that your timing is right. God, I don't understand why this didn't work out the way I wanted it to when I wanted it to. God, I don't understand that disappointment. God, I don't see why it went that way. But I do know this, that I'll stay faithful and I'll keep walking around the walls and then I'll trust you and I'll wait on you. Why do we wait? Just challenge you with two little perspectives. One is this. Sometimes while we wait, God is preparing the situation. Sometimes while we wait, God is preparing the situation. When do you think the people of Jericho had more fight left in them? Day one or day seven when they were demoralized? Each day, they lost a little morale. Each day, they lost a little energy. So by day seven, when the Israelites went storming in, it was probably an easier job to take over the city on day seven than it would have been on day one. So the whole time they were walking around the city, unbeknownst to them... God was preparing what was on the other side of the walls so that he could bring them victory. Sometimes, while we wait, God is preparing the situation. Here's the other thing. Sometimes, while we wait, God is preparing us. Sometimes, and we can't see it, but in the process of marching around the walls, our confidence builds, our faith gets deeper. We trust him more. I can tell you this. Sometimes, it's in the hard times that we get closer to God than we've ever been before. I've felt him, sensed him, known him more in those times of waiting than I have in the times of working. He prepares something in us and realize 
that victory is a process of trusting in God's perfect timing. Yeah, but I hate my job. (laughs) And I just want this thing to change. Yeah, my family's in this season right now, and I'm tired, and I'm worn out, and I'm looking for a breakthrough. I'm having challenges with my coworker. I'm wrestling with depression. I have this issue with my child. And we throw all these things out and we say, God, I don't want to be stuck in this season anymore. I'm tired of walking around this wall. God, I want victory. I would encourage you, trust his perfect timing. And in the midst of this, while you're waiting, ask God to help you to be prepared. Ask God to do a work in your life, even in this season of walking around a wall that you don't like. Because sometimes we expect that something's just going to happen when God is actually working something out in us. I like cookies. Does anybody else like cookies? I love them. Rhonda made some the other day. And I knew that she was beginning this process. So as soon as she began, I said, I want a cookie now. If I grabbed a handful of flour and eggs and oil and all that business and just slammed it in my mouth with an extra handful of sugar, how would that have been? It would be nasty. She'd have had to hose me off too, right? That wouldn't work. But there's a process. You take it, you mix it, you form it, you bake it, and when it comes out, you give a shout of praise. Amen? Right? But there's a process. Nobody likes the baking time. But it's essential. And in that time, realize that you're in a process. Some of us think we're just going to grab a handful of dough or just a few ingredients and it's all going to work out. And we expect that to happen. Here's the challenge. Don't expect results you're not preparing for. God, work something out in my life. In this waiting, in this challenge, help me to be ready. Don't expect results you're not preparing for. Now, while we're here talking about timing and hard times and facing difficult situations, let me throw one other thing out. I don't don't want to park here for a long time. I just want to to help you with something. Because you're probably just fine. It's the person sitting next to you that's really having a hard time. Because they're reading the headlines. And the headlines right now are all about ISIS and all about financial crisis. And it's all about what's going on in Ukraine. And you read these different headlines. And then on that kind of poison cake, you slap on an icing of Ebola, right? Not, not being funny. This is just the truth. And our headlines read with hysteria right now, don't they? I, I, was, I, I flew this week to the meeting that I went to. And Rhonda just sent me a text message that said, don't touch anything. And I said, no worry, I've covered myself in hand sanitizer. Right? that's That's your thought process. We are watching a culture that is being driven completely by fear. And what does God's word say about that? Did he say he's given us a spirit of fear? No, he says he's given us confidence, power, and love, and a sound mind. Now, are we wise about these things? All of these things are critical issues in our world today. But are we driven by fear as God's people? No, think about this. Over and over again, and the Apostle Paul says it, and Jesus says it. They say over and over again, fear not. When Paul wrote that in his epistles, when he said, don't be fearful, but instead be filled with joy, he wrote it when he was in prison. He wrote it to a world that was going through persecution that you and I can't even begin to taste. And yet he says, do not let your life be driven by fear. 
Now, for some of you, it's not ISIS and Ebola. For some of you, it's your finances or your health or that person that seems to be kind of messing in your world. I know these are real critical issues and you're walking around a wall, but you don't walk around that wall with fear because God doesn't leave you. He doesn't strand you. He is a God who specializes in rescue. Isn't that true? So don't let that fear control you when you read those things you take your fear and you turn it into prayers and you turn it into praise right because let me give you another snapshot into who god is let's go back to our text back to verse 17 joshua chapter 6 verse 17 it says the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the lord those are words of destruction remember the city and all that are in it are to be devoted to the lord Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. This is is a crazy thing to me. Because in the midst of this language, where God is saying, go in and destroy everything. He says adamantly, go in and destroy everything. Except, Except for Rahab. Do something different there. You you can read the rest of the text for yourself, but from that point on, if you count the actual Hebrew words in the original text that talk about this, there are um, 102 words that are used to talk about the destruction of Jericho. Go in there, destroy it, wreck the idols, go in and take out the people, hold on to the things that are of value. 102 words. If you continue to read, you'll find 86 words that talk about the saving of Rahab and her house. So we see this passage all about destruction and God's victory, whereas God sees it also a major part of this is salvation, isn't it? I want you to go in and rescue Rahab because I'm not just destroying a city. I'm also saving people in the process. Number nine, understand this. When you're walking around walls, saving lost people is the heart of God. His story from start to finish is one of redemption. If you look at scripture, and as you read this, scattered throughout this whole passage, God keeps bringing up Rahab. He keeps talking about her. And remember, she's not the most honorable person in town, right? She just knew to trust God. And when she reached out to him, an unlikely pagan prostitute, he not only goes to great lengths to save her, He goes to great lengths to save her. And then if you read on, he uses her to actually bring salvation to you and I because she's in Jesus' family tree. Realize this, as you're walking around walls, God loves people so much that even in the midst of your victory story, he's trying to bring salvation to people because that's what he's all about. Isn't that this whole story? It seems like over and over again, throughout scripture, God is pulling pictures of people out of his wallet and saying, did you see what I did here? Did you see how I saved them? I was flying back home into Detroit this week, and when I did, I sat next to a mom and her two-and-a-half-month-old uh, uh, daughter. And, and some of you are like, oh, God must be getting you for something, right? <laughs> she was wonderful. She's a cute little thing, and she actually was, was really good. And in the process, I strike up a conversation. My destination was Detroit. This woman was just changing a plane in Detroit and then flying from there to Brazil. So you might want to pray for her return flight. Um, that's, 
that's a long time. And so I've got my iPad out, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm reading some stuff. And in the process, we get in, the, in, in having a conversation. And we're having this conversation. And she begins talking about her baby and her husband. And she begins talking about just how little she is and can't believe she's already two and a half months old. And she says to me something about, it goes fast, doesn't it? They grow up quick. And I says, well, as a matter of fact, and I just pull my iPad out and I says, well, this is my family. <laughs> and I start showing her. It's like, this is my wife and my, my son. And I can tell quickly that she really doesn't care. <laughs> but she's not going anywhere. So I showed her another picture because I don't care that she doesn't care. Those are my other two kids. Because what I don't care if you don't care. I'm telling you about the people I love. There's my whole family. Do you want to know their names? No, she doesn't want to know their names. She wants this guy from Toledo to shut up. But do I care? No, because what I keep doing is showing her the pictures of the people that I love. So when God sees Adam and Eve sin, what does he say? Look, I'm going to bring redemption to you. And when you read through and you see him talk about Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm making you a promise. And when you see David, he says, David, not only do I have a promise for you, but I'm going to bless generation after generation after generation through you. And Daniel, even though you're in a place of exile, I'm going to use you and do great things. And look, you, you're lost and you're a sinner. And without me, your doom is sealed. But that's why I sent Jesus. You know why? Because I love you. And when you read through this book, you see him pull picture out of picture out of his iPad and his wallet and say, will you see the people that I love? Because the beginning of this book is how we lost relationship with God. And then the rest of this book tells us about how God goes to great lengths to get it back for us. Isn't that true? So recognize this. At the very heart of God is salvation. It's who he is. It's what he's all about. That is the very point. And sometimes you and I get so busy worried about our walls and our kingdom that we fail to see that in the midst of that, he's wanting not only to help us build his kingdom, but he's wanting us to welcome others into his kingdom as well. When was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time that you had a one-on-one conversation with somebody? Not in church, not because it came easy, but because God whispered to your heart and said, tell them about me. And that you told them about a God who gives you victory in your life. Because you and I get so focused on walls and we get so focused on personal victory that we forget that even in the midst of him wanting to bring promises to your life, he's wanting you to bring others into his kingdom. Isn't that true? See, that's his heart. That's his story. Even in the midst of this, God is always about salvation. One last thing, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. When the trumpet sounded... The army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Here's the idea of all this. That wall didn't just kind of have a crack, and they started pulling the bricks out. It came tumbling down. It collapsed. And they were able, because of the way that it collapsed, all the way around it, to charge straight in. And they took that city. They never could have seen it coming. And it was powerful what God did. I want to challenge you with this. Walls crumble when God moves to bring victory to his people. I don't know what walls you face. I don't know what you're up against. But rest on this promise. That when God chooses to move. When you trust him in obedience. In his perfect timing. That walls crumble when God moves to bring victory to his people. And it's a powerful truth. And realize this, that this story is not about walls. 
realize this. This story is not about Joshua. If you remember when we read it over and over again, it was about the Ark of the Covenant moving in. It was about the people taking their position. And if you want victory, here's, here's a last word of wisdom for walking around walls. Number 10, God is at the center of every victory story. God is at the center. Not you and your wall. Not you and your victory. Not you and your heroic leadership, Joshua. At the center of every victory story is God and what he wants to do. It's God and what he wants to work. It's God and his power at play. Here's the truth. God keeps his promises and he is working in your life and he's working in my life and he is wanting to bring you victory. So many times though, you and I get caught up focusing on the walls. We focus on the problems or we focus on the victory and we forget that at the very center when the Israelites went out, the clearest instructions were this, make sure you surround the ark because the ark represents the presence of God. See, this wasn't a deal where an army was going in This was a picture of a king who was moving in to take his kingdom. It was God stepping in to show I'm the one in charge. And I'm the one who leads you. And God was at the center of this story. And God is at the center of every victory story. Psalm 108 verse 13. Here's what the psalmist writes. With God we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. It's not you and I who do it. It's him when we put our trust and when we put our confidence in God. With God, we will gain the victory and he will trample down our enemies. So listen to this. I want you to grasp this thought before we conclude today. This story is more about God's presence moving in than about walls tumbling down. See, the point of the victory struggle that you may be in is not just for you to be victorious, but for God to be the king. For him to be the one who reigns. For him to be the one who takes control. This story is about God at the center of it all. He does things through us when we mix that that, that powerful one-two punch of obedience and praise. He does it through us when we put our trust and our confidence in him and in his perfect timing. He does it through us when we realize that he's building his kingdom. Not just us building ours. But when we put him at the center, he does something powerful in our lives. So here's, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And, and, and we'll, we'll get active here for just a minute. Will you stand with me today? And I know sometimes we're, we're sensitive or we're cautious in this moment. And, 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 I, and I believe that. I know this is a big room. And I'm, I'm not out to embarrass anybody or anything like that. But I do believe that there's times when we need to, when we need to mix that obedience and praise. When we work in that moment. So if you're here today and you say... I came in today knowing that I need victory in some area of my life. I'm going to ask you right now just to come and stand here at this altar. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to take a, a real long time. Just you know, if you are, and you say, God, I need your victory in my life today. And I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's something that some people would seem small. Maybe to some people it seems huge. Maybe it's a moment where you say, God, I just know I need to surrender my life to you. I can't do this on my own anymore. But wherever it is, you would say, God, today I need your victory in my life. I'm going to ask you to come. And maybe we can move towards the middle. Can we, can we um, condense in here a little bit, folks? That would be awesome. Thank you. Now, you know what that victory place is. You know what it is you're looking for. And God knows that. He knows that situation. He knows that place in your life. You know, one of the things that's so significant and strategic, I think, about this story is that in the process of needing and finding that victory, they surrounded 
what it was that they needed to see change. That God's people stepped out in faith and believed that there was something that needed to happen. And so they, they surrounded that in obedience. I'm, I'm going to ask something else. There's some of you that are here and you would say, look, I, I don't necessarily come in today needing victory, but I know what it's like for God to bring victory. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for some of you who maybe feel kind of a stirring of faith in your heart, or maybe you even know a story that's here at the altar, would you step out of your seat and come and stand behind some of these folks and just place a hand on their shoulder? And I'd love that just as the Israelites surrounded those walls of Jericho, that we would surround our friends with prayer this morning. Does that make sense? So some of you, if you, if you feel that, maybe God's stirring in your heart, just take a step forward. I'd love for you to come. You know what it's like to receive God's victory. And let's, let's, can, we, can we kind of move in a little bit here, folks? Let's tighten up just a little bit. We're going to take a moment and pray. And we're going to believe God for victory today. And if some of you would come and just stand behind and just, just believe, you're going to encourage your friends with faith today. Put a hand on their shoulder. We're going to believe that God is speaking, that God's working, that he's doing something in our lives. So right now, I'm, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And we're going to take a moment and pray through these things. And as we do, I want you to pray for yourself, for God, to bring victory to your life, to your situation. We're going to pray for one another and encourage one another. And then in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to give a shout of praise. Well, that's, that's cool. The person next to me can, but I'm not doing that. That's weird. Okay. It's your wall. But in just a moment, we're going to give a shout of praise. And believe that God is working victory in our lives. And so all throughout the room, would you join me in prayer right now? Father, we come to you. Because, Lord, what we know is that you're a God who's promised us victory. Lord, your word tells us very clearly that with our God, through our God, we will gain the victory. He will work that in our lives. And, Father, you know the story in every step of what's happening here in people's lives today. You know the victory that's needed in the lives that are standing in this altar. God, I know you know the the victory that's needed in the lives of some who should be but weren't. God, I know that you are stirring something in some of us to move today and say, Father, we need your victory. Now, we don't fully understand maybe even the situation that we're in, but we've taken a step of obedience today to say, God, we will trust you. God, we will look to you. We take this place where we are and we entrust it to you. And so, Father, now, in this moment, we ask you for your victory. We ask you for your strength. We ask you for your grace. We ask you for your help. God, we ask that you would work this out in our lives. And God, we don't understand the timing. We know it might not happen in this moment. We may need to walk around a wall in obedience and praise for a while. But God, we do that because we trust your perfect timing. God, we know that you're working something out in this situation situation in our hearts. And so now, Lord, we take a moment and we turn our eyes off a wall and we turn our eyes off a situation. We turn our eyes off of what we perceive to be victory. And in this moment, God, we look to you. And in this moment, we believe that you are the one who brings us the victory. And so it is with that confidence, it's with that truth, that in this time, we look to you. And Father, we give to you today a shout of praise. So let's do that, Calvary, on the count of three. One, two, three. Let's praise him today. Father, we praise you, God. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, God. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we give that shout out of faith today, out of confidence today, believing that these walls crumble at your power, that the victory is available only at your hand. And so, Lord, with confidence in you, we trust you today. Lord, as we go from here, we know we have an enemy who will want to discourage us. But greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. 
And Lord, we know we face situations that seem like giants, but giants and walls are nothing to our God. And so, Lord, it's with praise and obedience, it's with working and waiting that we trust you, believing that you will change our Jericho into a place of victory as you move us into your promises for our lives. And so now as we go from here, would you go with us? Lord, would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give him praise this morning. Thanks for being here. I'd encourage you, those of you who are down here, encourage one another before you step away. At least high five somebody. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.